The weaver who loved a princess. If you're listening with a young kid, you may skip uh, this story. In the Molasses Belt is a city called Sugarcane City. In it lived two friends, a weaver and a carpenter. Since they were past masters in their respective crafts, they had earned enough money by their labors so that they can keep no account of receipt and expenditure. They were soft, gaily colored, expensive garments adorned themselves with flowers and beetle leaves and diffused odors of camphor, aloes, and musk. They worked nine hours a day, after which they adorned their persons and met for recreation in such places as public squares or temples. They made the rounds of the spots where society gathered, theaters, conversations, birthday parties, banquets, and the like, then went home at twilight. And so the time passed. One day there was a great festival, an occasion when the entire population wearing the finest ornaments that each could afford began shuntering through the temples of the gods and other public places. The weaver and the carpenter, like the rest, put on their best things and in squares and courtyards inspected the faces of people dressed to kill. And they caught a glimpse of a princess seated at the window of a stucco palace. The vicinity of her heart was made lovely by a firm bosom with the curve of the early youth. Below the slender waist was the graceful swell of the hips. Her hair was black as rain cloud, soft, glossy and billowy curl. A golden earring danced below an ear that seemed like a hammock where love might swing. Her face had the charm of a new-blown tender water lily. Like a dream, she took captive the eyes of all and she sat surrounded by girlfriends. And the weaver, ravished by his lavish loveliness, since the love god with five fierce arrows pierced his heart, concealed his feelings by a supreme effort of resolution and tottered home, seeing nothing but the princess in the whole horizon. With a long-drawn burning sighs, he tumbled on the bed. Though it had not been made up, and there he lay, he perceived he thought of nothing but her, just as he had seen her, and there he lay reciting poetry. Virtues with beauty dwell, so poets sing, this contradiction not considering, that she, so cruel sweet, far, far apart, tortures my body still, still in my heart. Or does this explain it? One heart my darling took, one pines as if to die, one throbs with feeling pure, how many hearts have I? And yet, if all the world from virtue draws a blessing and a gain, why should all virtue in my maid, my fawn-eyed maiden pain? Each guards his home, they say, yet in my heart you stay, burning your home away, 
sweet heartless one that these her bosom's youthful pride her curling hair her sinuous side her blood red lip her waist so small should hurt me is not strange at all but that her cheek so clear so bright should torture me is far from right her bosom like a elephant's bro swells saffron scented how ah thereon my bosom lay when very love is tired of play so fettered in her arms to keep a vigil waking half half asleep if fate has willed that i should die are there no means save that soft eye you see my love though far apart before you ever o oh my heart should vision cease to satisfy o oh, teach your magic to my eye for even her presence will distress if i bought by too great loneliness since none the merciful are blessed of selfishness may stand confessed she stole her luster from the moon the moon is dull and cold the lily's sheen is in her eyes no charge of theft will hold the elephant's majesty she seized not knows he of her art from me the slender maiden took a strange feeling heart in the middle air i see my love on earth below in heaven above in life's last hour on her i call she is like vishnu all in all all mental states the buddha said are transient he was wrong my meditations on my love are infinitely long in such lamentation his thoughts were tossing to and fro the night dragged drearily away on the next day at the customary hour the carpenter wearing an elegant costume came as usual to the weaver's house there he found the weaver with arms and legs sprawled over an unmade bed heard his long drawn burning sighs and noticed his pallid cheeks and trickling tears finding him in this condition he said my friend my friend why are you in such a state today but the poor weaver though questioned repeatedly was too embarrassed to say a word at last the carpenter grew weary and dropped into poetry no friend is he whose anger compels a timid languor nor he whom all must anxiously attend but when you trust another and if he were your mother he is no mere acquaintance but a friend then after examining the weaver's heart and other members with a hand skilled in detecting symptoms he said comrade if my diagnosis is correct your condition is not the result of fever but of love now when his friend voluntarily introduced the subject the weaver sat up and recited a stanza of poetry you find repose in sore disaster by telling things to clear-eyed master to virtuous servant gentle friend or wife who loves you to the end then he related his whole experience from the moment he laid eyes on the princess and carpenter after some reflection said the king belongs to the warrior caste while you are a businessman have you no reverence for the holy law but the weaver replied the holy law allows a warrior three wives the girl may be a daughter of woman of my caste that may explain my love for her what says the king in the play surely she may become a warrior's bride else why these longings in an honest mind 
the motion of a blameless heart decide of right and wrong when reason leaves us blind. Thereupon the carpenter, perceiving his determined purpose, said, Comrade, what is to be done next? And the weaver answered, I do not know. I told you because you are my friend, and to this he would not add a word. At the last, carpenter said, Rise, bathe, and eat. Say farewell to despondency. I will invent something such that you will enjoy with her the delights of love without loss of time. Then the weaver, hope reviving at his friend's promise, rose and returned to seemly living. And the next day, the carpenter bringing a brand new mechanical word like Garuda, the bird of Vishnu. It was made of wood, was gaily painted in many colors and had an ingenious arrangement of plugs. Comrade, he said to weaver, when you mount the bird and insert a plug, it goes wherever you wish and the contrivance alights at the spot where you pull out the plug. It is yours. This very night when people are asleep, adorn your person, disguise yourself as Vishnu. My wit and skill are at your service. Mount this Garuda bird, alight on the maiden's balcony of the palace and make whatever arrangements you like with the princess. I have ascertained that the princess sleep alone on the palace balcony. When the carpenter had gone, the weaver spent rest of the day in hundred fond imaginings. He took a bath, used incense, powders, ointments, beetle scents for breath, flowers and so forth. He put on gay garlands and garments, rich in fragments. He adorned himself with a diadem and other jewelry. And when the night came clear, he followed the carpenter's instructions. Meanwhile, the princess lay in her bed alone on the palace balcony bathed in moonbeams. She gazed at the moon, her mind idly dallying with the thought of love. All at once, she spied the weaver disguised as Vishnu and mounted on his heavenly bird. At sight of him, he started from her bed, adored his feet and humbly said, O Lord! To what end am I honored by this visit? Pray command me what I am to do. To the prince's word, the weaver in a dignified and sweetly modulated accent made stately answer, Yourself, dear maiden, are the occasion of this visit to earth. But I'm merely a mortal girl, said she. And he continued, Nay, you have been my bride, now fallen to earth by reason of a curse. It is I who have so long protected you from contact with a man. I will now wed you by the ceremony used in heaven. And she assented, for she thought, It is a thing beyond my fondest aspirations, and he married her by the ceremony used in heaven. So day followed day in enjoyment of love's delight each day witnessing a growth in passion. Before dawn, the weaver would mount his mechanical Garuda, would bid her farewell with words, I depart for Vishnu's heaven, and would always reach his house undetected. One day, the guards at the women's quarter observed indications that the princess was meeting a man, and in fear of their lives, made a report to their master. O king, they said, be gracious and confirm our personal security. There is a disclosure to be made. And when the king assented, the guards reported, O king, we have used anxious care to forbid the entrance of men. Yet indications are observed that Princess Lovely had meetings with a man. 
not unto us does it fall to take measures. King, the king alone is the prime mover. Upon this information, the king pondered with troubled spirit. You are worried when you hear that she is born. Picking husbands make you anxious and forlorn. When she marries, will her husband be a churl? It is tough to be father of a girl. Again, at birth, she steals away her mother's heart. Loving friends when she is older fall apart. Even marriage, she is apt to bring a stain. Having daughters is a business full of pain. Again, when a poem or daughter comes out, the author is troubled with doubt. With a doubt that his questions betray, will she search the right hands, will she please as she stands, and what will the critics say? Having thus considered the matter from every point of view, he sought the queen and said, My dear queen, pray give careful attention to what these chamberlains have to say. Who is this offender whom the dead god seeks today? Now they had related the facts. The queen hastened in great perturbation to the maiden's apartments and found her daughter with lips sore from kissing and with telltale traces of her limbs. And she cried, You wicked girl, you are a disgrace to the family. How could you throw your character away? Who is the man that comes to you? The death god has looked upon him. Dreadful as things are, at least tell the truth. Then the princess, with shame-faced drooping glances, recounted the whole story of the weaver disguised as Vishnu. Thereupon, the queen with laughing countenance and thrilling in every limb hastened to the king and said, O king, you are indeed fortunate. It is blessed. Vishnu who comes each night in person to our daughter's side. He has married her by ceremony used in heaven. This very night you and I are to hide in the window niche and have sight of him. But with mortals he does not exchange words. On hearing this, the king was glad at heart and somehow lived through the day, which seemed a hundred years. When night came and the king and the queen stood hidden in the window niche and waited, their gaze fixed on the sky. Presently the king descried one descending from heaven, mounted on Garuda, grasping the conch shell, discus, mace, marked with familiar symbols. And feeling as if drenched by a shower of nectar, he said to the queen, there is none other than on earth so blessed as you and I, whose child blessed Vishnu seeks with love. All the desires nearest our hearts are granted. Now through the power of our son-in-law I shall reduce the whole world to subjection. At this juncture, envoys arrived to collect the yearly tribute for King Vela, monarch of the south lord of nine million nine hundred thousand villages but the king proud of his new relationship with vishnu did not show them the customary honor so that they grew indignant and said come king payday is past why have you failed to offer the taxes due it must be that you have recently come into possession of some unanticipated supernatural power from some source or other that you irritate King Valor, who is a flame, a whirlwind, a venomous serpent, a death god. Upon this, 
the king showed them his bare bottom and they returned to their own country exaggerated the matter a hundred thousand fold and stirred the wrath of their master then the southern monarch with his troops and retainers at the head of an army with all four service branches marched against the king and he angrily cried this king may climb the heavenly mount may plunge beneath the sea and yet i promise it the wretch shall soon be slain by me so valor reached the country by marches never interrupted and ravaged it and the inhabitants who survived the slaughter besieged the palace gate of the king of sugarcane city and taunted him but what he heard did not cause the king the slightest anxiety on the following day the forces of king valor arrived and invested sugarcane city whereupon hosts of counselors and chaplains interceded with king o king they said a powerful enemy has arrived and invested the city how can the king show himself so unconcerned and the king replied you gentlemen may be quite comfortable i have devised a means of killing this foe what i'm about to do his army you too will learn tomorrow morning after this address he bade them provide adequate defense for walls and gates then he summoned lovely and with respectful coaxing dear child relying on your husband's power we have begun hostilities with the enemy this very night pray speak to blessed vishnu when he comes so that in the morning he may kill this enemy of ours so lovely delivered him at night her father's message complete in every particular on hearing it the weaver laughed and said dear love how little a business is this a mere war with men why in days gone by i have with greatest ease slain mighty demons by thousand and they were armed with magic there was hiranyakashipu and kansa and madhu and kaitabha to name but a few go then and say the king dismiss anxiety in the morning vishnu will slay the host of your enemies with his discus so she went to the king and proudly told him all and whereas he was overjoyed and commanded the doorkeeper to have proclamation made with beat of drum throughout the city in these words whatever any shall lay hands on during tomorrow's battle in the camp of valors slain whether coined money or grain or gold or elephant or horse or weapon or other object that shall remain his personal possession this proclamation delighted the citizens so that the gossip together saying this king of ours is a lofty soul unalarmed even in presence of hostile host is certain to kill his rival in the morning Meanwhile the weaver forgetting love's allurements took counsel with his brooding mind what am i to do now suppose i mount the machine and fly away then i shall never meet my pearl my wife again king valer will drag her from the palace after killing my poor father-in-law yet if i accept the battle i shall meet death who puts an end to every heart's desire but death is mine if i lose her why spin it out death sure death in either case it is better than to die again besides it is possible that the enemy if they see me accepting battle and mounted on a garuda will think me the genuine vishnu and will flee 
for the proverb says let resolution guide the great however desperate his state however grim his hostile fate by resolution lifted high with shrewd decision as a lie he grimly sees grim trouble fly when the weaver has thus resolved on battle the genuine garuda made respectful representations to the genuine vishnu in heaven oh lord he said in a city on earth called sugarcane is a weaver who disguising himself as my lord has wedded a princess as a result a more powerful monarch of the south has marched to extirpate the king of sugarcane city now the weaver today takes his resolution to befriend his father-in-law this then is what i must refer your decision if he meets death in the battle then scandal will arise in the mortal world to the effect that vishnu has been killed by the king of south thereafter sacrificial offerings will fail and, and other religious ceremonies then a thief will destroy the temple of the lord while pilgrims of the triple starved devotees to blessed vishnu will abstain from pious journeying such being the condition of affairs decision rests with my lord then blessed vishnu after exhaustive meditation spoke to garuda o king of the wind your reasoning is just this weaver has a spark of divinity in him therefore he must be slayer of yonder king and to bring this about you and i must befriend him my spirit shall enter his body you are to inspire his bird and my discus his discus so be it said garuda assenting hereupon the weaver inspired by vishnu gave instructions to lovely dear love when i set out for battle let all things be made ready that bring a benediction he then performed auspicious ceremonies assumed ornaments seemly for battle and permitted worshipful offerings of yellow pigment black mustard flowers and the like but when the friend of a day blooming water lilies the blessed thousand beams sun arose adorning the bridal brow of eastern sky then to victorious roll of the war drums the king issued from the city and drew near the field of battle then both armies formed in exact array then the infantry came to blows at this moment the weaver mounted on garuda and scattering largesse of gold and precious gems flew from the palace roof towards heaven's vault while the town's people thrilling with wonder gazed and adored then beyond the city he hovered above his army and drew from vishnu's conch a proud grand burst of a martial sound at the blare of conch elephants horses chariots foot soldiers were dismayed and many garments fouled some with shrill screams fled afar some rolled on ground all purposive movement paralyzed some stood stock still with terrified gaze fixed unwavering on heaven at this point all the gods were drawn to the spot by curiosity to see the anindra said to brahma brahma is this some import demon who must needs to be slain for blessed vishnu mounted on garuda has gone forth to a battle in person at these words brahma pondered lord vishnu's discus drinks in flood 
the hostile demon's gushing blood and strikes no mortal flat the jungle lion who can draw the tusker's life with awful paw disdains to cross a gnat what means this marvel does brahma himself was astonished and that is why i told you not even brahma sees the end of well devised deceit the weaver taking vishnu's form embraced the princess sweet while the very gods were thus pondering with tense interest the weaver hurled his discus at valor this discus after cutting the king in twain returned to his hand at the side all the kings without exception leaped from their vehicles and with hands feet and head dropping and limp obeisance they implored him who bore the form of vishnu o lord an army leaderless is slain be mindful of this and spare our lives command us what are we to do so spoke the whole throng of kings until he made answer who bore the form of vishnu your persons are secure henceforth whatever commands you receive from the local king king stout male you must on all occasions unhesitatingly perform and all the kings humbly received his instructions saying let it be our lord commands Thereupon the weaver bestowed on stout male all his rival's wealth whether men or elephants or chariots or horses or stores of merchandise or other riches while himself having attained the special majesty of those victorious enjoyed all known delights with the princes and that is why i say the god befriend a man who climbs determination's height and rest of it having listened to this cheek said If you too are thus climbing determination's height then proceed to accomplishment of your desire blessed be your journeyings thereupon victor shot presence of the lion who said when victor had bowed and seated himself why has so long time passed since you were last visible and victor answered o king urgent business awaits my master today hence i come the bearer of tidings unwelcome but wholesome This is not indeed the desire of dependence who yet brings us tidings when the fear the neglect of immediate and necessary action and the proverb says when those appointed to advise speak wholesome truth they cause surprise by their remarkable access or passionate devotedness and again a man is quickly found o king to say the psychophantic thing but one prepared to hear or speak unwelcome truth as far to seek hereupon rusty believing his words worthy of trust respectfully asked him what do you wish to imply and victor answered o king lively has crept into your confidence with treasonable purpose on several occasions he has confidently whispered in my hearing i have examined the strong points and the weak in your master's power in his prestige his advisers and his material resources i plan to kill him and seize the royal power myself without difficulty this very day this lively person intends to carry out his design that is why i am here to warn the master whose service is mine by inheritance to rusty this report was more terrible than the fall of a thunderbolt he sank into a panic-stricken stupor and said not a word then victor comprehending his state of mind continued 
This is the great sadness in discharge of counselor's duty. There is wisdom in the saying, when a counselor rises higher than he should, fortune strives in vain to make still her double footing good. Being women feels the strain, soon abandons one of twain. For indeed, with broken silver, loosened tooth, or counselor who fails in truth, pull roots and all, so only grief will find its permanent relief. And again, no king should ever delegate to one sole man the powers of state, for folly seizes him, then pride. Whereat he grows dissatisfied, with service thus impatient grown, he longs to rule the realm alone. And such impatient longings bring him into plots to kill his king. Even now, this lively manages all businesses, manages all business as he will without restraint of any kind. Hence, the well-known saying finds application. A counselor who tramples through his business through his heart be true, may not unheeded go his way since future days the present pay. But such is the nature of kings as the poet sings, some gentle actions born of love to thoughts of active hatred move, some deeds of traitorous offense win guerdon of benevolence. The kingly mind can no man tame and never being twice the same. Such service makes the spirit faint, a hand conundrum for a saint. On hearing this, Rusty said, after all, he's my servant. Why should he experience a change of heart toward me? But Victor answered, Servant or not, there is nothing conclusive in that. For the proverb says, The man who loves not royalty, just serving while he can, finds nothing better worth his pains, is not a loyal man. My dear fellow, said Lion, even so, I cannot find it in my heart to turn against him. For however false and fickle grown, one dear is always dear, who does not love his body, though decrepit, blemished, queer. And again, his actions may be hard to bear, his speech be harsh to hear, the heart still clings delighted to a person truly dear. For that very reason, retorted Victor, there is a serious flaw in the business of getting on in the world. Observe how this person, upon whom the master has concentrated his consideration, to the exclusion of the company of animals, now desires to become himself the master. As the verse puts it, The man of birth or man unknown, if kingly eyes on him alone, are fixed aspires to seize the throne. Therefore, dear though he be, he should be abundant. Being a traitor like the one has never been dear. There is much wisdom in the saying, Pursue your aim, abandoning the fools inclined to sin, the comrades, brother, friends, or sons, or, or honorable kin. You know the song the women sing, we hear it far and near. What good are golden earrings if they lacerate your ear? And if you fancy that he will bring benefit because he is bulky of body, you make a perverse mistake for how use a proud bull elephant that will not serve the king a man is better fat or lean who does helpful thing and again pity that our lord and king might feel toward him 
is quite out of place for whoever leaves the righteous path for some unrighteous course will meet calamity in time and suffer much remorse. Whoever will not take from friends most excellent advice will gladden foes and falling soon will pay his folly's price. And again, on wicked trick intently bent, the willful still lack ear to hear, so blind their mind of nice and wise, the cause and saws appearing clear. Furthermore, where one will speak and one will heed what in the end is well, although unpleasant at the time these riches love to dwell, no king's retainer should devise a fraud for spies or kingly eyes. Then bear with hearts as kind, O king, the truth is seldom flattering. Tried servants never should be left, and strangers taken, a kingdom's health by no disease is sooner shaken. My good fellow, said Lion, pray do not say such things, for never publicly defame any one's commended name, broken promises are shame. Now I formerly gave him a safe conduct, since he appeared supplicant. How can he prove ungrateful? But Victor rejoined, No rogue asks reason for his wrath, nor saint to tread in kindness path. By nature's power the sweet or sour in sugar dwells or neem trees flower. And again, caress a rascal as you will, he was and is rascal still. All slave and sweating treatments fail to take the king from doggy's tail. And once again, slight kindness shown to lofty souls, a strange enlargement seeks. The moonbeams gleam with whiter light on Himalaya's peaks. While on the other hand, the kindness shown to vicious souls, strange diminution seeks. The gleam of moonbeams is absorbed on shooty mountains peak. A hundred benefits are lost if lavished on the mean, a hundred epigrams with their true relevance unseen. A hundred counsels when a life obeys no rigid rule, a hundred cogent arguments are lost upon a fool. Lost is every gift that goes where it does not fit, lost is service lavished on sluggish mind and wit. Lost upon ingratitude is the kindest plan, lost is courtesy on one not a gentleman. Or put it this way, perfume offered to a corpse, lotus planting dry, weeping in the wood, prolonged rain or alkali, taking kings from doggy's tail, drawl in deaf and ear, decking faces of the blind, sense for fools to hear. Or this way, milk a bull and think him some heavy uttered cow, blind to lovely maidens, clasp eunuchs anyhow, seek in shining scraps of quartz, lapis lazuli, do not serve an adult paid bidding sense goodbye. Ergo, the master must by no means fail to heed my sound advice, and one thing more. What tiger, monkey, snake advice I did not do, and so that dreadfully ungrateful man has brought me very low. How was that? asked Rusty, and Victor told the story of ungrateful man.